So if you had to give a name to the season that we're in right now, what would you call it? I came up with what I think historians decades from now will look back and say about our generation during this season. And I think they're going to call it the year people gave up. And I think the reason that they're going to call it that is because in, in the face of unprecedented levels of anxiety and uncertainty, people gave up on really important things in their lives. Now, there's been obviously some positive things that have come out of this season. Uh, for many of us, we've had an opportunity to uh, spend more time with family. Uh, we've had an opportunity to be outdoors more. We've had an opportunity to reassess how we go about our lives in very, very practical and tangible ways. So there have been some good things uh, that have come out of all of these terrible circumstances. Uh, One is, I made a list, uh, suddenly becoming an introvert was patriotic. Uh, Suddenly now socially distancing. And here's a picture of me during Christmas uh, going into the honey-baked ham store with my hat and my mask and socially distanced six feet. So raise your hand if you're an introvert. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about? All 40% of us. Um, you know, uh, history will show that there were some good business ideas that came out of this. The new ways of doing church, um, new ways of connecting with family uh, that we haven't before. But I really do believe that historians are going to look back at this season and they're going to call this the year that people gave up. People gave up on their marriages. People gave up on their sobriety. People gave up on healthy routines and habits. People gave up uh, attempting to have social connections. And so I created a chart. Every single person uh, joining us right now, every single person will find themselves somewhere on this chart. And I call this chart the five stages of doing anything worth doing. Whatever you're going to do in life, uh, be it parenting, be it uh, looking for a job, going to school, health routine, whatever it is, there are five stages that all of us go through whenever we're attempting to do something that's worth doing. If you look at the picture here, we all start out with the first stage, which is what I call delusional confidence. Author Warren Bennis says in any organization, you always want to hire a certain percentage of very green, very young workers because what they bring is delusional confidence. And so those of you who are leaders and managers, you know exactly what what I'm talking about. You just love uh, your younger workers because they they have this, hey, can't. Uh, can't do attitude where they're going to go and they're going to attack something and, and they just, they're just not going to listen to the naysayers. And so whenever you start out with something, let's use this example of marriage. Whenever you start out in marriage, you have delusional confidence, right? You're like, this is going to work out. There's no evidence whatsoever that this relationship is going to work out, but you have delusional confidence that it's going to work out. And so then you go the path where you're learning and when you're growing and you get to the second stage, which is discouragement. You've gone down the predictable path. You are now discouraged because marriage isn't easy. That discouragement, if it isn't addressed, will eventually lead you to the pit of despair. Those of you who've tried a new exercise program, a new eating program, you tried a new job, a new church, whatever it is, you eventually, every single thing in life that's worth doing will eventually lead 
to the pit of despair. And the pit of despair is the place where you ask yourself the question, is it worth continuing on or do I want to turn back? For those of you who are willing to push through um, the pit of despair, you'll go to the next stage where you'll see glimmers of progress. And this will be a place where there's no other pattern. There's no, let's say you wanted to do a diet and you're like, I'm going to follow this thing. And then you realize my body doesn't respond to this particular diet or approach to eating or approach to exercise the way it does for other people. And so what you do is you come up then with your own unique configuration. In your marriage, all of the books, all of the patterns, all of the examples don't lead you past the pit of despair. It's completely new virgin territory. You're learning it. You're taking it, taking risks. There are no models. It's uncharted territory. Uh, many of you have started with CCV, and you started out with delusional confidence, right? This is the greatest church in the world. Brian's the greatest pastor in the world. This is the greatest staff. This is the and then eventually you realize quickly you go to stage two, which is discouragement. Oh my goodness, he's not the greatest pastor in the world. Oh my goodness, the staff, they're not the greatest staff in the world. Oh my goodness, this church is just like every other church. And you go to the pit of despair and you ask yourself the question, am I gonna continue here or am I gonna push through? When you push through and you go to glimmers of hope and then on to success, you realize that there's something brand new. The challenge that every single one of us face is that you can skip out and go back to the beginning. When you're in the pit of despair, you can go find another church. You can go find another marriage. You can go find another friend. You can go find another health program. But eventually, it's going to lead all the way back to the same place. And that's because anything worth doing always brings us to a point where we have to ask the question, am I willing to pay the price to learn, to grow, to change, to push through this particular stage. So we're starting this series today. It's called Anywhere But Here. And it describes that feeling when you're in the pit of despair. You're like, you know what? Where do I want to be? Anywhere but here. And what we're going to be talking about is quitting and pushing through. Now, the greatest challenge, the scariest place is when people aren't willing to push through the pit of despair when it comes to their faith. And they ask the question, am I going to turn back? Hebrews chapter 10, chapters 11, and chapters 12 give some of the most encouraging and jarring advice and exhortation to people who are in the middle of the pit of despair. So I don't know what your pit is right now. I want you in your mind to identify what this is. Maybe this has to do with your mental health, anxiety, depression. Are you willing to push through? You're willing to find help? Maybe that has to do with a relationship. Maybe this has to do with your health, your finances, or your faith. We're going to find in Hebrews chapters 10, 11, and 12 what we need to hear to push through that stage of the pit of despair. Now, let me begin. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. By the way, if you haven't downloaded our church app yet, please do that. CCV Philadelphia, the App Store, Google Play, download it, hit the Bible tab, 
and it will bring you to this passage right here. Hebrews chapter 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Let me just pause here. The writer of the book of Hebrews is talking to converts from Judaism that have converted to Christianity. And up to chapters one through nine, the writer has been talking about how Jesus is like the high priest in the Old Testament, where in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies, the one place where we knew God resided. And it was only the high priest that could go in there to basically move this curtain aside one time a year, go into the Holy of Holies. And the amazing thing, what Hebrews says, is that Jesus, through his death in his body, ripped that curtain apart So just regular people like you and me can go into the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely life-changing. That the creator of the universe, the holiest place where he is, you and I get to go in there because of what Jesus did for us. The problem is, even though that was a reality, there was a whole group of Christians in the first century that were fading away in their faith. And it wasn't like today um, where some people occasionally will say, I'm an atheist, I don't believe anymore. It's more than likely like it is today where people are like, I'm just not really into it anymore. I really don't have a reason for it. I just, I'm not that interested in my faith anymore. Other things will start to get in the way. And so that was happening here. And so what the writer of Hebrews did is the writer of Hebrews gave three powerful statements to people who were fading away. And you're going to notice that there's the spiritual fade, how it affects other people. When you fade away, it's going to affect other people. When you fade away, it's going to affect your standing with God. And finally, the writer talks about when you fade away spiritually, your spiritual fate is going to affect your story. But let's look at the first challenge. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened us through this curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, look at what he says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts uh, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, it doesn't matter how far you've gone from God, you can have your consciences cleaned again. You can have your hearts cleaned again. Let us hold unswervingly to the, to, to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And look at this right here. Here's the whole point of this first section. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, what? to do good deeds all the more as you see the day coming. Basically, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you need to avoid the slow fade on your faith. You need to stay connected right now to other people who are going to challenge you. You need to be in a small group, a watch party, a one-on-one discipleship. We have Zoom groups all over the place right now meeting that are meeting successfully. That's one of the new things that we've learned out of COVID is that you can have genuine community virtually in groups, but you need to re-engage with that community 
or you will go off in the slow fade. And what will happen if you fade away? What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that you will become someone that's not a good person anymore. You will no longer do good deeds and it will affect other people. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. As a pastor, I have a front row seat all the time where I watch people who get overly involved in their career, overly involved in exercise, which is a big one in this area, overly involved in their extracurricular activities. And suddenly now those things take the place of their connection with other Christians in the church. And what happens slowly but surely, these other activities push out the work of God in their lives. And so what happens is these people that fade away, these people that we used to rub shoulders with in church services and small groups, when they leave the faith, they do not become better people. 20 years later, their kids don't look at them and say, oh my goodness, wow, you became such a better person once you left the faith. Here's a picture of my grandfather, Marcus Leon Jones. He was born and raised in a one-room house in eastern Kentucky. And the family tree before him, I traced it all the way back to England. Our family tree, starting from England all the way to Marcus Leon Jones, was poverty and despair. Every night, Marcus read his Bible by oil lamp every single night because there wasn't electricity. And scripture seeped into him. People laughed about how frugal he was and entrepreneurial he was. My great aunt said he kept repairing the same overalls over and over and over again. He bought up bottom land in in the greater Pikeville area. He farmed 100 acres of land. He bought homes and rented them out. And he worked full-time as a mailman for the post office. He made enough money to send his four sons to college and bought each of them a car. I mean, that seemed like a lot in, in our area. But when every single generation before you lived in despair and poverty, he changed everything for everyone. And I say this because... Are you going to be the person that changes the next two generations of your family or are they going to look back on you as the person that essentially started the downward trend? That's a very honest thing we have to ask ourselves. The Bible always talks about three generations at a time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. And so when you're thinking about your life, you have to be thinking about your kids and your grandkids. Why? Because your parents and your grandparents affected how you live. And so if we fade, it's going to affect other people long term. But here's the stark warning. And a lot of people don't want to read this in scripture. But if you fade in your relationship with God and turn your back on Christ, it's going to affect your standing with God. And I want you to just listen to these words. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. 
anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Just let that sink in for a second. Let that sink in for a second for you, but also for your family members and friends that you know they're slowly fading right now. People ask, does the Bible actually mean that? And the answer is, absolutely. Without question. If you turn your back on Jesus after following him and reject him, the Bible says that you will stand before God and he will send you to hell for eternity. Think about that. Hebrews is like, yeah, you want to you get re-engaged with your faith because it's going to help other people, but I have to be honest with you. If you don't, you're going to go to hell. The very last thing that the book of James says, one of the most practical books in the entire New Testament is, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We have to be hyper-vigilant right now as a church community and to be on the lookout for anyone that we are rubbing shoulders with We need to reach out to that friend that we haven't heard from in a while. We need to text that friend. We need to email that person. We need to point blank, call them up on the phone and ask them, how are they doing spiritually? We don't want to lose anyone right now. Anyone. And so there's a positive reason not to fade away because it's going to affect people. And then there's a negative reason. You could go to hell. But third, there's a final appeal. And that appeal is to continue to live out the amazing story you've been living. If you fall away right now and turn your back on Christ, it would just be a shame. Think about all of the things that you did, all of the changes that you made as a Christ follower. Look what the Hebrews said. Talking to people who are fading away. The book of Hebrews says, remember those early days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who are so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you know that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere right now um, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will not delay and my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, God says. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed in hell. 
We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And so the fact is, every Christian will have to push through the pit of despair at some point in their spiritual walk. John the Baptist had to do it. Sent his followers, are you the one? I baptized you, but honestly, are you the one or should we expect another one? Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and many of you right now. Hebrews saying, what a shame it would be to live this courageous life for Jesus and basically throw it away in the fourth quarter. I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer where I'm gonna give us an opportunity to recommit our lives to Jesus. And for those of us who are already fully in, we're gonna recommit ourselves to shepherding and caring for our friends to bring them back in the fold. Let's pray. Our God, we ask for your forgiveness. We repent of our sins, of our narcissism, of our selfishness, of clinging to things from this world and culture and allowing them to come in front of you. We ask that you would rekindle in our hearts that love and that passion we had at first. We also ask God that you would rekindle in our hearts the love for our family members and our friends in the faith, that God, we would feel ownership of their spiritual lives and that we would shepherd them and bring them back and cover a multitude of sins. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.